Well, howdy, A&M Church of Christ and guests who are tuning in from all around the globe. We are so glad that you are with us today. Well, as you know, Texas is reopening for business and it's going to take some time before all is back up to speed. However, the ball is rolling. Some of you may be wondering, so when can we get back to church? Well, trust me when I tell you, uh, I long for that day too. However, we want to make sure that we are protecting the most vulnerable among us while making sure that we have protocol in place that provides a safe and secure environment for all who visit our campus. So keep an eye on your 316 updates this week, and we'll let you know more as we finalize plans for re-engaging face-to-face. If you've been with us the past two weeks, you know that we are in a series of lessons entitled Rescue, and we're focusing on the purpose and the power of lament. And during this time, it seems an appropriate topic to explore. Our lesson from today is Psalm 88, a psalm that some writers refer to as the most despondent of all the lament psalms. It doesn't end on a very positive note, or does it? Well, let's find out as we engage today's text. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to hear my cry. So far, so good, right? But hold on just a sec. Heman, who is probably one of King David's ministers of music, is about to express one of the bleakest of the Psalms, a psalm that has unmistakable tones of darkness and despair. So it may be easy to think as we go through the text today, wow, I don't really like that psalm. Life's hard enough as it is. Why do I want to read something that's going to depress me even more? Well, it's important to understand that every scripture serves a purpose and to limit ourselves only to those scriptures that reinforce our existing views or do nothing more than inspire us to have a good day. Well, we miss formative opportunities that help us become much deeper people. And deep people are much better equipped to face not only challenges like the one we're in right now, but all challenges that come our way over the course of our lifetimes. The psalmist continues in verse 3 of Psalm 88. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more who are cut off from your care. Well, these first five verses, if you haven't figured it out, is really a prayer of desperation. While it's true that the psalmist praises the God who saves in verse one, the reality of his circumstances seem to be closing in around him. They're suffocating his hope, dulling his resolve. It's like pouring salt on an open wound. In short, the psalmist knows in his head that God is the saving one. It's his heart that's having trouble catching up. I think what we see here 
is a from the depths of my heart I cry out lament. An emptying of a pain-filled heart that can only be completely satisfied by the God who saves. This may be a really odd construct to us, thinking about praising God and then almost blaming God. Can you imagine someone leading a prayer in church, thanking God for saving us, and then spending the rest of the prayer blasting God for his lack of action? Well, let's not let our Western age of reason filters diminish the power of lament, because this is extremely important. Day and night, I cry out to you, verse 1. This phrase indicates that the psalmist constantly prays to God. But since he continues, that means that God has not alleviated the stress. God has not resolved the situation. Otherwise, the psalmist would write, I reflect on those days when I cried out to you. But he continues his lament. These are not past tense words. The psalmist is in the middle of it, and it hurts. And he begs God for it to stop, and, and yet it doesn't. But even though it doesn't, the psalmist never stops praying. I am overwhelmed with troubles, the writer notes in verse 3. On this particular phrase, Dennis Tucker observes, the Hebrew term is the same as the word used to describe one whose stomach is full after a good meal. The speaker's life is sated with troubles. He is full to bursting with torments of various types, indicated by the Hebrew's use of the plural. In short, the writer of Psalm 88 faces challenge after challenge, but the challenges are not the focus of the psalm. The focus is on how the psalmist responds to the challenges. And in this case, even though he grows weary in the waiting, he keeps crying out to God. Even on the doorsteps of death, he keeps asking God to remember him, a very powerful part of Jewish covenant expectations. And by the way, a pretty powerful reminder for all of us that when the pressures and the pains of this world seem to be more than we can bear, we cry out to God. In Leviticus 26, verse 42, the text tells us, God says, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. See how important remembrance is part of the covenant? So the situation for the psalmist, it's really dire. The picture that's painted here is intended to cause the reader to sympathize with the psalmist. You know, it's not, man, this guy's a real whiner. It's about showing us that when we feel overwhelmed, we have examples in scripture of others who have been in the exact same place. Psalms like this give us a vocabulary when we're too overwhelmed to find the words. I've often heard it said, when you don't know what to pray, pray the Psalms. That's a powerful reminder for all of us when the pressures and the pains of this world just seem to be more than we can bear. 
But the psalmist doesn't stop here. He continues, verse 6, You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined. I cannot escape. Did you happen to notice a pronoun in those verses that was repeated again and again? It was the pronoun you. You, Lord, put me in the pit. You overwhelm me. You took my friends away. Because of what you have done, I am trapped. I don't know about you, but psalms like this make us just a little bit nervous. He can't really speak to God like that, can he? <laughs> well, he does. And the Holy Spirit guides him to pen these words. Why? I think it's because God wants us to know that he is bigger than our biggest concern. And that it is often only after getting our words out that God's word can get in. My experience with grief has been extremely hard. Um, that's, it's a simple word, but it's the best word to describe it. Um, it has been difficult. It's been long. It's been tumultuous. Um, probably most of you have heard um, the expression of grief being like a wave and, um, and grief coming in waves. And that has very, been very um, accurate for me. Um, my waves sometimes are very little and sometimes they're huge. And the small waves are the ones that, you know, you just deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Maybe, you know, little reminders here and there, things like that. But then the huge waves, the, the tsunamis, those are the ones that take your breath away. Those are the ones that make you run for cover and uh, need to hunker down to um, protect yourself um, and to lean into it and deal with the grief um, head on. Um, so it's been challenging, uh, especially trying to, you know, have like, you know, life and, and manage some of those waves. Um, and it has felt overwhelming, almost suffocating at times. Um, and I think for me, probably the hardest part is it's uncontrollability. I cannot control when it comes and when it goes. Um, I have to, you know, just take it when it comes and write it out. And I like to control things. So that has been a little bit of a challenge for me. Um, but that's been my experience so far uh, with grief. Throughout my grief process, uh, God has been close. Um, even when I haven't been close to God, God has been close and has always been there for me. Hope has always been something that I have clung to, the hope that we will all be together again someday and that we have uh, life everlasting with Jesus. That is uh, super important and an uh, integral part of who I am. Um, However, through the grief process, there have been questions. There have been um, doubts. Am I a good enough Christian? Do I really believe? Do I really have faith? Um, and so I'd like to share a little bit about what I have come up with in that process. So, you know, lament is, is a deep sadness. It, and it's, it's an overwhelming sadness where um, you're going to see somebody crying or having um, 
even physical reactions to grief like um, you know having headaches or stomach aches or you know not being able to get out of bed or things like that um, frustration confusion why did this happen things like that um, and so sometimes when I would feel these things I would think I must not be a very good believer or I must not believe in God very much or I must have very little faith and I don't think that's true I think instead because I have those feelings because I'm able to lament a deep loss that shows the faith that I do have because of our hope in Jesus um, Jesus wants us to express our feelings and not just the positive ones um, you know, it's it's interesting to me that we have that ability to kind of think like that, that, you know, joy is okay. And, you know, jumping up and down, clapping, being happy for someone, laughing, perfectly acceptable. Not going to question your faith if you have that. However, if you are crying or doubting or having frustrations or... Um, missing someone who's no longer here, sometimes there's the thought that, um, you know, you must not have very good faith. However, you can't have one without the other. Um, you can't understand joy without understanding sadness. So I think God intended for us to feel these things and to help it, to use that to help us draw near to him. Um, and I do think that um, in order to process our grief, and get through some of these hard emotions, we have to lean into it and um, and kind of process through by, um, you know, almost like a cleansing, um, allowing all of that, just like we do with, with good um, and joy, that we, um, we release it through things like clapping and laughing and things like that. This is that release. We're going to release our, our sadness, our lament through crying and um, through anger and doubt and things like that. The psalmist is worn out here. Is it any wonder that he writes in verse 9, my eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. And with these words, we come to the paradoxical nature of lament. The psalmist is hurting. On some level, he believes that God is responsible, and yet he prays. It's in this tug of war that we are exposed to the spiritual and emotional tension of lament. His only hope of deliverance is the God who rescues. But the God who rescues is not rescuing. And here is the most importantly inferred word in the darkest of Psalms, yet. The psalmist asks several rhetorical questions designed to remind him and later the congregation who will sing this song that God is faithful to the living. In essence, as long as I have breath, I will cry out to the saving one. But that doesn't mean the time between needing rescue and being rescued is easy. In his between here and there state, 
the psalmist continues. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? And the psalm will later and ultimately conclude, you have taken from me friend and neighbor. Hear this phrase, darkness is my closest friend. You may be thinking, wow, Greg, thanks so much. I can't begin to thank you for bringing so much uh, sunshine to my day. Well, let's rewind the tape and keep just a few things in mind. First of all, Psalm 88 is described as a song and a psalm. That means that God isn't the only person who hears the cry of those who hurt. These cries are meant to be heard in community. And accordingly, community is intended to respond. In which specific ways? Well, the audience is left to decide. But it's super important to see this in Psalm 88. Because you see, perhaps God isn't silent after all. Perhaps he is waiting for his people to do what they seem to always do in the face of tragedy. And that is to respond with mercy and grace to those who are broken and hurting. Openness with our struggles in community. Responding to those struggles as community. You see, that was God's plan all along. That's why he had a chosen people, not a chosen person. Jesus came and changed a great many things. But there's one thing that he left intact, and that is community. Note the following words from Hebrews 4. Pay particular attention to the plural pronouns. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, confidence includes honesty. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what words you use to express those feelings, take it to God. Lean on your brothers and sisters, knowing that mercy and grace are freely yours in Christ Jesus. I want to close with a personal story. Several years ago, Delene and I owned a small farm in Middle Tennessee. Our boys were still living at home at the time. I was out in the pasture one day when I heard this bleating noise at the bottom of the hill. And I assumed one of the goats had gotten its head stuck in the fence again, an almost daily occurrence. And so I set off down the hill to investigate. But when I got to the source of the noise, I was surprised to see a small fawn whose leg was caught in the wire fencing. She was bleating, crying out loud, and desperately struggling to get free. But the leg was so badly entwined that her fur at that spot where the wire was actually was gone. 
There was no way that she was getting out of that situation alone. So I ran to the house. I picked up some wire cutters and some ointment and gauze. And uh, my son Riley and I made our way down to her. And very gently, Riley cradled her in his arms as I began working to set her leg free. And when, uh, when I cut the wire, I told him, don't let her go. Uh, so once she was free and he was still holding on to her, I applied the ointment and wrapped her leg in gauze and we let her go. About a year later, I was sitting in my living room when I noticed three does walk across the front yard and one of those does had a slight limp. But she was very much alive and she was very much part of her family. You know, in many ways, human beings are a lot like that little fawn. We get stuck and when we do, we cry out. Sometimes we cry out longer than others. Sometimes the pain becomes almost unbearable. Sometimes the harder we try, the more stuck we get. But every time, Jesus understands. He is never put off by our cries for help. After he holds us, after the wounds are bandaged, we may walk for a while with a limp, but we are very much alive and we are very much part of his family. One last thing. Earlier I mentioned that the psalm was written by Heman, who was most likely one of King David's ministers of music. Did you know that the name Heman in Hebrew means faithful? How cool is that? So be bold in your prayers during this season of lament. And always remember, you are never alone.